Today's read, Midnight and the Meaning of Love by Sister Soldier, Part 3, Korean Drama, Chapter 20, Inshallah. Akimi was seated on the stairs outside Hande Suites. Chiasa saw her first, all the way from the bottom of the block. Should I walk up there alone? Would that be better, she asked me. No, we are already walking together, so we shouldn't pretend that we're not, I said. Akimi had her face lying on her knee tops. Her hair was uncovered and hanging down almost to the floor. She was watching as we approached. Her eyes were soft, as they always were, soft, mysterious, and a little bit vulnerable. She was wearing a white yukata with a long-stemmed black rose stitched on it in a wicked design. She wore wooden-heeled flip-flops. All of her fingernails had the kanji for mayonaka. On her toenails were drawn half-moons. She was so subtle in her extreme elegance. Akimi. I came in close and reached my hand out to help her up. As she stood up, Jiasa bowed down and came up speaking in Japanese. Akimi placed her hand in my hand and kept it there. We were now three, standing still on the stairs, staring. I saw Akimi's eyes, seeing Chiasa's diamond ring and bangles. Akimi said something to Chiasa. Chiasa turned to me and said, Akimi is asking me if I am your translator. I told her I was. I'll head upstairs so you two can talk, I said to Chiasa and gestured to Akimi at the same time. Akimi wouldn't loosen her hand from mine. She tightened it to halt me. Akimi said to me, if I am your translator, then I should translate, Chiasa informed me. I looked at Akimi. Her eyes told me. She wanted the three of us to remain together. Then let's all go upstairs, I said. For privacy, I added. In the elevator, I stood in the middle. They were on opposite sides, leaning on the wall as though it was the only thing holding them up. Upstairs in our suite, we all removed our shoes. I sat on the bed and leaned against the headboard. Chiasa sat at the small wooden eating table. Akimi moved around in the tiny kitchenette, preparing tea and rice and soup. She spoke some Japanese to Chiasa. Chiasa translated to me that Akimi said, For the first time, I feel so frustrated at myself for failing to learn to speak the English language. This was never a problem between Mayonaka and me before. Akimi was looking at me to let me feel and know that her words were for me. Then she said, Now I feel myself splitting slowly like a glacier that has a tiny crack that threatens to break into two pieces and send both sides drifting over icy water. Chiasa looked at me. You see, this is why I love her words. They are like poetry. Chiasa said softly in English without a trace of humor. 
Akimi then turned to Chiasa and expressed the following feelings to her in Japanese, which Chiasa put into English so that I would also hear and understand. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Chapter 21 Whole Women Akimi's Voice I know why you love my husband. You love him for the same reasons that I love him. Any woman who comes to know my Anaka will love him just the same. I am not angry that you love him. I have seen many women with either lust or love for my husband in their eyes. I am angry because he loves you. He is loving you while he is loving me. I am also angry at myself because you would never have come to know him if I had been in his life fully and at his side where I belong. I am angry because his love is strong and his love adds, but it never subtracts. So I know that no matter what I do or say, you have become an addition to me and him, a permanent part of us. I am so angry at my father because he caused all of this. He divided a great love, mine and my onakas, and for shallow and stupid reasons. He has kept me away from so many people, family members who love me or who would have loved me and I might have also loved if I had only known them. The love between my onaka and me is so intense, but now our love will never be as it was, just he and I. Now it is he and I and you and all of our children to come. I feel many children will come because I know him. I'm not going to be mean to you because I already know that would be useless. It would cause distance between me and my man, and I never want to do that. I want to hold him close, so close, so close. I know that you will never leave him because I would never leave him for the same reasons. So... Here we are, wedded together somehow. Chiasa, I saw you at Hokkaido. 
You were impossible for my eyes to miss. I am an artist who appreciates so deeply each beautiful thing in deep detail. I see it. I appreciate it. I remember it. I saw you on the plane. A very beautiful, quiet girl. Pretty even while sleeping. I did not know that the girl who I often spoke to over the phone was the one who rode on the plane beside me and my onaka. I am crying now because even when my husband was coming for me, he was with you. What exactly happened between the two of you, I will never know. Whatever it was, it has created a powerful energy and a strong bond and a deep feeling between you two. These facts can never be denied. I saw the passion in your writing on the study cards that you made for him. I saw the love in his eyes as he spoke to you over the phone. I feel his body jerk at the mention of your name. Mayanaka has already told me that he loves me. He tells me that I am number one in his heart, his first love, and that he will love me forever. Mayanaka has already told me that he will never leave me, no matter what. Mayanaka has already told me that if he has gone away from me, he will always return to me. He is my husband. I am his wife. I cannot ever separate from his words, from his love, from his body. So, if it is okay for you to be number two, then I accept you. Between you and me, woman to woman and wife to wife, we should never have as our goal to destroy one another. It is impossible for me to destroy you without destroying him. It is impossible for you to destroy me without destroying him. We'll share. Honestly, though, and hopefully only in the beginning, while he is loving you, I'll be burning. I'll be burning because I know how good it feels. While he is loving you, I'll be burning because I know how good it feels to him. And at that time, it will be you making him feel that good, not me. But when he returns to me and holds me, I will heal each time. For that healing from him, I would do anything Chiasa, if knowing all of this, my true feelings, the lives I carry from him in my womb, you still want to join us, and I know you will. I accept you. We should become great friends. You and I should become close, but we will never become as close as each of us is to him. Jiasa's voice. I love your husband. You are right. 
in almost everything that you've said. True, I can only love him because of you, but not because you were separated from him. During the time that he was looking for you, and I was helping him to find you, our tongues never touched. He was true to you, more perfect than you could imagine, and more perfect than I ever wanted or expected any man to be. I am embarrassed to say that even though I was a virgin then, and I am still a virgin even tonight, if he would have attempted in one of those nights that he was searching for you, I would have allowed him, but he did not. We used your diary to locate you. Only I could read your kanji, and I was his translator. It was you then who brought my heart to him. It was your words, your feelings, your impressions, descriptions, and experiences with him. I fell in love with you first. Then I fell in love with him. It all happened in that order. So, yes, that makes me second. When I am used to winning first place and being number one, But what will I have if I pretend to be what I am not? In this love, I am number two. I love and admire you, Akimi, as a woman. I don't hate women. I don't hate women. Although I know that many women hate every other woman automatically. I also love and admire him as a woman loves a man in the deepest and most intimate of ways. Number two is not less. You are right. It is addition, not subtraction. One is first, and two is the next number over. But two is more than one. It makes one stronger. So, here we are, with no shame and no sin committed. I am so grateful you have accepted me. Inshallah, over time, you will enjoy me, genuinely. Midnight's voice. I know that if Akimi and Chiasa were American girls, they would have attacked each other. They would have tried to rip each other's hearts out and bloodied as many body parts as possible. They would have burnt down houses and slashed tires and raised up girl armies. They might have even tried to castrate. They would have labeled me a motherfucker, a dog, an animal, a nigger, or worse. They would have said that I was crazy or full of myself or full of shit. Both of them would have told me to go to hell. The illest thing, however, is that I know for sure from seven years in America, if they were American girls, they would have both made a scene, fought and talked a bunch of shit and refused to marry me and refused to share. And still, they both would have continued to allow me to fuck them repeatedly impregnate them and abandon them while swearing they were both right and both hadn't done 
anything wrong. I was proud of Akimi and Chiasa, them being able to stay cool, talk it out, and be reasonable made me love them even more. Call me in the morning, I said. After walking Chiasa downstairs in front of the hotel, I hailed a cab. It pulled over. I want to spend time alone with Akimi to make friends, Chiasa said, as I opened the back door for her. Maybe I can come by early tomorrow, she said, leaning her face out the window. I knew from experiencing Chiasa during our search for my wife that she was great at making friends and winning over hearts. Chiasa has a purity in her smile and a gentleness in her talk that soothes and brings out the best in people despite her soul of fire and brave heart. Akimi won't be here tomorrow. She has to go with her grandmother. How about you, I asked her. I'm good until about four. Then I'll have to get ready for the banquet. And will you still come at seven to meet daddy? She asked, as though something in me might have changed. Definitely seven sharp, I said. She smiled. Meet me at the mosque tomorrow, 10 a.m., I told her. As she was looking up at me with those long lashes and pretty eyes, she seemed unsure. But she said, okay, 10 a.m., the mosque, and 7 p.m., the shilla. I tapped the top of the cab and said, the shilla. His meter was already running. He pulled off. Chapter 22 Struck by Lightning Uma told me to take my Armani suit with me. I should have listened to her, as usual, but I was fresh dressed and more than chilling for the thriller at the Schiller. I was feeling good, extremely calm and peaceful. Meeting the general at his five-star hotel, squeezed in between his last pressing appointment and his banquet of dignitaries was just a formality for me. I had already married his daughter Chiasa, the 16-year-old pretty puma of the legal marrying age. I had a fixed Uma's signature on my documents, with her permission, of course. Chiasa was swirling with emotions, her entire body pulsating like a heartbeat as she eagerly became my second wife. We wed at the mosque in Itawan, under the supervision of Imam Jabril Park and the witnesses he organized on short notice. As far as I was concerned, the general had already given his permission when he and I shook hands at the military property where he had abducted and held me in Busan. Word is bond. That's what I believe, and that's what my father and grandfather believe as well. The documents were for the authorities. The ceremony was for the faith. The spiritual permission was all I was truly concerned about. If it was right in Allah's eyes, then it was right for me period. Chiasa and my heart were probably married before all of that, or perhaps before any words were exchanged between us. Maybe it was when I first saw her sleeping on the plane, 
Or maybe it was much later when it came to me, a thought deposited into my mind, Chiasa, a gift from Allah. I had not gone into her. I would. When our feelings were at their highest height and we were free to express them, just she and I, I would go in. I was excited to give her the deepest feeling that could be given to a woman, probably other than childbirth, which I'm sure is completely different. I was honored to be the first and only man to break through the skin that separated her from everyone else and brought her closest to me. We'll tell Daddy together, but wait for me to wink, she said, speaking of our marriage. Please promise. She probably didn't know that I felt so high from having her and Akimi as my own that I would have agreed to almost anything inside of those seconds when she made the request. There was a long line of limos gliding up the long path to the Shilla, and Benzes, and Lexuses, and of course, Hyundais. The trees were crowded on both sides like a huge audience gathered for a holiday parade. Slowly, my driver eased past the traditional Korean buildings and beneath the arches that lined the winding road. Each arch was made from intricately designed and painted wood. Turquoise was the dominant color. The tops were curled on the edges. The wicked way old-style Asian roofs were uniquely crafted. When we reached the Hermes shop, I paid the driver and got out. The ride for the next 70 feet to reach the hotel door could take a half hour or more with all the vehicles waiting. I could walk up in less than a minute. Through the revolving door and into an elegant lobby that was a festival of lights, my eyes were moving rapidly, taking it all in. The Korean designers had the eyes for the fine lighting. Everywhere I had gone in Korea so far was expertly lit, not with typical lamps or bulky bulbs. At the Shilla, the lights were a series of crystals, carefully draped and dangling on an 18-foot wire slimmer than kite string. Each delicate crystal glistened from the high ceilings down. Each string hung at different lengths and on different angles. As I stood still, admiring it all, I was mixed in a crowd of tuxedos and fine wear. Women were in elegant gowns as well as sleek dresses and skirts of every length from coochie to ankles. In a small opening, I saw Chiasa staring down at me from the balcony. They were waiting for the elevator, I guessed. It was standing, I was standing, exactly at the agreed location. I wasn't worried about locating the general or him locating me. I was the lone black face in a sea of Asian faces. When he arrived, he would be the second black man in a sea of Asian faces. As one set of elevator doors opened, he came easing out, a muscular and massive man. He was wearing a well-tailored suit, not a uniform adorned with medals. Even that day that he'd sat on the side of his desk, not behind it, besides six hand grenades, he was not wearing a military uniform. He shook hands as he moved forward 
through the crowd. He would stop and exchange a few words with various people who sought his attention. His smile was swift and unnatural, but seemed very useful to him. Giasa was shielded behind him. Daddy, here is... Giasa introduced us excitedly yet softly. In his presence, she was like a little girl. She was dressed how American men dress their daughters, in a sleeveless chiffon cocktail dress that delivered the contour of her body and featured her golden skin, full breasts, tiny waist, and long legs. She was the opposite of how she'd been at the mosque today. I wanted to take off my jacket and throw it over her head. I didn't. I told myself to be easy. This was her last concession to him. I was sure. Baby, go to my room and get my silver cufflinks. I want to change these. He interrupted her introduction. She looked at him, knowing she was being sent away for a calculated reason. Who shifts from wearing gold to wearing silver and not the other way around, I thought to myself. Daddy. She gave a one-word protest. It's okay. I'll have a man-to-man talk with him, he told her. I didn't say one word. Just watched her make her way through the crowd. Saw her finger press the elevator button. Saw a small crowd exit the elevator and her walk inside just as the doors began to close. Before it shut completely, her eyes locked into mine. Son, the general called me. Or maybe he wasn't a general. Maybe that was just a code name, a cover for something else that he was doing. I took his use of the word son as his acknowledgement of Chiasa's and my relationship. I believed that it would be the only acknowledgement from a man like him, who probably specialized in not acknowledging things. It's amazing, the power of a party, isn't it? He began again. I didn't react. I didn't plan on doing too much talking. I showed up for Chiasa, my wife. Just then, an immaculately, an immaculately dressed Korean man stepped up to where the general and I were standing. Quickly, the general greeted him, and they exchanged a few words, all spoken in Korean. I noted that I had now heard the general speak Japanese, Korean, and English, of course. I suspected that this was just the small portion of himself that I had been allowed to see here and know. Throw a big party where people get to pull up in their limousines and show off their tuxes, shoes, and cufflinks, and the slimiest scum come crawling out of their holes voluntarily. They walk right up in the plain view of their enemy. It works every time. It always has, as far back as the days of Napoleon and even before his time. The general's eyes kept moving around the room, never landing on me. Yet, he was talking to me, strangely. That's the thing about a formula, son. If it works one good time, you keep it. Don't change even one ingredient. The party is a formula. It works everywhere on the globe. North south, east, and west. Only the menus and the venues and costumes change, but 
that's not a change in the formula. It's a change in the bait, he said. You and I are both here at this party, sir. I was reminding him and questioning him at the same time. Did he consider the two of us to be the men who had swallowed the bait? Or maybe he was only referring to me as the sucker. <laughs> he laughed. Always remember, son, the party throwers and the party goers are two separate sets of people. One set is the power, the other set is the meal. And then I knew he was one of the party throwers. He waved at another set of men across the room. It was a one-hand wave. I thought about Chiasa. What was taking her so long? Or did she plan to stay away to allow her father and me to get to know one another? What if your opponent didn't show up at your party? What then, I asked him. I was intrigued by how he was not discussing anything personal personal about what had transpired between him and me and his daughter. Since he was not asking any questions, I assumed he either did not know anything about our new marriage or he knew everything and realized that because of the deal he made, he had no control over us. When you are a superpower, it doesn't matter if one of our enemies doesn't show. Enough of them will. And we also make some allies by laying out the bait. If we are searching for anyone, no matter who he is, no matter how stubborn or smart, and even if he is the one guy in the world who doesn't like to party, we'll still find him. That kind of enemy is simply delaying his capture. He's eating up the military budget. He just doesn't realize that there actually is no military budget. No matter how much we spend, there will always be more where that came from. Even the smallest countries spend on the military when they don't have even one grain of rice or one bean for their own people. War is endless. He smiled and finally turned toward me. So you see, I picked the right industry. He was looking me straight in my eyes. Look at these assholes, he said, suddenly shifting his stance and angle. I shifted also. Through the doors moved a line of Asian men, all uniformly dressed in black suits and white dress shirts and hard black shoes. It seemed like they were forming a blockade. They were definitely blocking some of the hotel entrances. Can you read faces, son? He asked me. I always know a man is a fool when he says, they all look the same. A superior military man has to be able to read faces swiftly. I'm standing here on this side of the world tonight. I'll be standing in the midst of another party on the other side of the world tomorrow night. Wherever I am, I have to be able to read the faces. One slip up, I could lose my life. His words were moving me now. I was watching the lineup at the entrance. Those, those are some Japanese crashing the party, 
Sometimes, even when you don't invite a certain enemy, they show up. Look at their faces and check the differences between them and the Koreans and the Chinese and the Vietnamese. To a civilian, there is no difference. To the trained eye, it's obvious. The Japanese always want to form a line. It's an obsessive compulsive disorder. They'll bow all the way down to the floor, he said, pointing out exactly what both of us were seeing. Fifteen men in a row, bowing simultaneously with great precision. They always reveal their rank, the general said, as one more Japanese man came through the door. Obviously, the same man the others were all bowing down to. I looked at him, and then I looked at the man coming up immediately behind him. It was Naoko Nakamura. I stood still. Why should I move? Then I checked the face of the man standing guard in front of Naoko, and it was Makoto. His eyes scanned the room rapidly like a trained chief of security. When his gaze landed on me, his look shifted from a simple security check and head count to a knowing glare. Less than one second later, his eyeball had been shot out of its socket and blood was splattering on his clean white dress shirt. The crowded reception area moved like a wave. Teams of security began revealing themselves and scrambling about. The people didn't scream or shout. It was a low murmur and curious facial expressions. Don't move, son. Stand right there. You are in the best seat in the house, he said. But we were standing. Even though thousands of African-American military gave their lives to secure a free South Korea, if you are in the room among them and something goes wrong, you will be the first accused. So stand still. We have over 200 witnesses to the fact that we had nothing to do with this mess. As everyone else entered into a state of confusion and Nakamura was rushed out the door and 13 of his 15-man security team followed behind him while one picked up Makoto and the other his eyeball and wrapped it in a handkerchief, I knew. Maintenance appeared before the ambulance to clean up the blood. One of them picked up the rocket, picked up the rock, that I knew had to be Chiasa's and put it in his pocket as the police arrived at the hotel entrance too late to stop the destruction of the evidence of the crime scene. An argument broke out between the police and the hotel manager who suddenly appeared in defense of his cleanup crew. An announcement was made that the banquet hall, door, hall doors were opened and all guests should move inside. Come with me, the general said, I followed him into the banquet hall. Jiasa was seated inside, quick like lightning. Pretty as a puma, she was calm and smiling, and her hands were steady. Take great care with my daughter, or I'll find you and kill you. It won't be a war game, but the real thing, the general said. Those were his last words to me after the banquet and after we parted. <laughs>